if a recipe didn't work for you, it doesn't always mean that you're a bad cook. Often it doesn't mean that you're a bad cook. It might just be a bad recipe. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. Welcome to this week's episode where we're going to teach you how to choose a recipe. Yeah, like how to choose a recipe that's right for you. Yes, I was hoping you would jump in and correct me and say, how to choose a recipe that works for you, that's good for you. That's you need that to get your whole life done. working for you. Like that's, yes. that's what it really comes down to. And when your kids get older, like mine are a little bit older, like even the kids, like they need to work for me. I'm okay, say more about that. I want to know how I can get my kids I don't, I don't working know. for me. I, I talk a big talk, Megan. <laughs> I mean, my 13-year-old basically walks all over me. The other day, he and I got into the most ridiculous fight. And it's really my fault. Because anytime you're in a ridiculous fight with your kids, like you're the grown up, right? Like you're the one who can get out of it. But I was just freaking hooked. And it was about how he should dress for a bar mitzvah. And we went through this whole thing. He basically went into his closet and he put on not the suit that I just recently bought for him, but the suit that I bought for him two years ago. Which probably doesn't fit, right? No. He couldn't button both the buttons. The pants were up to his ankles. And I granted right now the fashion is like the short, uh, more fitted, like athletic pants. Okay. And then like snazzy socks that show. Like he has this whole look he's cultivating. It feels like a very basketball player look. Yeah, it's like a hipster basketball thing. So anyway, so I get that he saw that the pants were short and he was like, I like it because he had these cool socks that he was wearing and like his cool sneakers. But like the shirt was too short. He couldn't tuck it in. Like the whole thing was absurd. And I was like, like, just change. And he was like, I don't want to change. No, just no. And like, I just got really fixed. Anyway, boring. But I, in the end, I was like, he kept saying to me, I hate this <laughs> when he uses the natural consequences like against me. He was like, who cares? Like the natural consequences that I'm going to go and I'm going to look ridiculous. Let me just look ridiculous. And I'm mad because I'm like, I'm supposed to say that to you. Like, you don't <laughs> say it to me because then that means I know you don't care. And then it's not a consequence. And this whole thing is like faulty. Anyway. I let it go. He took away all your power. He did. Yeah. So I drive him to the bar mitzvah and then he's like, will you walk me inside? I was like, are you kidding? Like if you're big enough to like dress and wear whatever you want, deal with the natural consequences, walk yourself inside. And he was like, oh, sorry that I'm walking into like an unfamiliar house of worship and just would like my mom to escort me to the door. Literally, that's a near exact quote. I was like, this is ridiculous. Anyway, I'm a sucker. I walked him in. He wore the ridiculous suit and everything was fine. (laughs) (laughs) That was a whole waste of like a morning for me. Oh, Um, anyway, we get to talk about something else where you do have the power. You're right. This is something I know. Yeah. Circle it back to the thing that (laughs) you can make work for you. If it's not a suit, it's a dinner recipe, right? If you can't get your 13-year-old to work for you, you can at least get your recipe to work for you. Like 90% of the time. Yeah. I think we should talk about that. Like there's a margin of error. Like everyone messes up dinner sometimes or breakfast or a recipe, whatever it is. Sometimes even we do. I did the other day. Wait, do you want to share what it is? Or do you want to save it for our episode where we talk about dinner feels? Sure. I basically, I love this 
green salsa verde from Trader Joe's. So okay. I always have two jars in my pantry. And I was just in a major rush. And I I knew it was going to be a busy week. But then when I quickly looked at my calendar, I was like, oh, if I don't prep dinner before I leave the house, like right after the kids go to the bus, I we're not going to have dinner tonight. So I grabbed chicken breast and I grabbed the salsa verde. I seasoned the chicken breast with salt and pepper, threw it in the Instant Pot with the salsa. And I even said, you can refer back to our Instant Pot episode. And I'm not typically a like dump and stir Instant Pot cooker. And I was like, but everybody does this all the time. I've seen a thousand recipes that call for putting chicken breast with salsa in an Instant Pot or something. Or in a slow cooker. That's wildly popular. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. Actually, I did use the slow cooker function because I was going to be out for many hours. Anyway, it was the blandest ever. (laughs) Even Oliver was like, "Um, does this chicken have taste? I was like, like, "Mm, I I don't think it does. I thought you were going to say that you forgot to put like a little extra liquid in there and the whole thing burned. That's what I went to. No, it was, I mean, I cannot tell you. It was like the salsa actually removed flavor from the dish. I don't, I don't understand. So then when it finished and I shred the chicken, I added more of the salsa thinking, oh, maybe I should have just cooked it in chicken broth more like poaching and finished with the salsa. With onion onion and garlic and call it a day. Yeah. So I added some fresh from the jar because I hadn't used two full jars and some fresh lime juice. And I stirred in cilantro, fresh cilantro. And it was still like the, it was seriously the blandest thing ever. But getting back to what we're going to talk about today, we still enjoyed it because when I came home, dinner was practically ready. Yes. And the recipe, it wasn't really a recipe. It was just my own whatever, but it fit the circumstance for the day. And I feel like something that we're going to end up talking about is that if you take on a recipe that looks amazing and it's a fail, that's going to create dread for the next time you go into the kitchen. But if you use a recipe that just turns out mediocre, but it was easy, like it simplified your life, you came home and dinner was ready, you're like, okay, I won't make that again. But you don't, it doesn't leave a bad taste in your mouth. Well, hopefully. <laughs> Not literally. But you know what I mean? Yes. If it's mediocre, you're like, okay, well, this is food. This is nourishment. It's dinner. I didn't order. I saved money. I used up my groceries. Like you feel much better about it in the end. So choosing a right recipe isn't always about choosing something that looks amazing. Right. Or that's Instagram worthy or yeah. that everyone's going to rave about. Sometimes choosing the right recipe is something that fits your budget and your time. And that's it. And it's okay if it's not like the greatest chicken you ever ate in your entire life, as long as it didn't go to waste. I mean, I think so. And I think that that's a mindset shift that is hard for a lot of cooks. But if your goal is to cook as frequently as possible for whatever reasons, health, budget, whatever, what you want to reinforce in yourself is cooking being something that you do successfully. And success isn't just in how it tastes. It obviously can't taste like (laughs) But (laughs) short of that, like if you are going to want to cook five nights a week, six, seven nights a week, like not everything is going to be a winner. And 
restaurant quality or even close to it. Like sometimes you just want to use up your stuff. And there's a lot of ways to dress things up. I love what Leslie Tellez talked to us about too, about a little crunch, a little spice, a little tang, right? In our episode about everyday Mexican cooking. You know, there's hot sauce, there's fresh herbs that you can finish with, there are pickled onions. If you keep stuff like that on hand, you can always dress up something that's mediocre. Yeah. I also just want to champion the recipes that aren't dressed up and still just like the get it done recipes. Yeah. There's a place for that in everyone's kitchen. We even have those in our own kitchens, right? Things that we just go to and it's like, "Eh, it's maybe not my favorite, but everyone in my family will eat it. It fits a budget for tonight and... It's just easy on me. So, but I wanted to like take a step back before we really talk about the nitty gritty of how we choose recipes or how other people can choose recipes that are good for them and talk about the recipe process. Because this is one, uh, this is an area of expertise for both of us. And sometimes it's fun to pull back the curtain and, and help you understand where recipes come from and sometimes why recipes don't work for you. I, and I also just, I want to make a strong point here that like, if a recipe didn't work for you, it doesn't always mean that you're a bad cook. Often it doesn't mean that you're a bad cook. It might just be a bad recipe. And we want to keep you from picking bad recipes. So amen. On the um, flip side, because okay. I know Flip we've it. both written some duds, I'm sure. Everybody no, every has. single one of mine's a winner. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I've never Shop. gotten hate emails. Listeners I've group. never had bad comments. Let's never, put it ever. to the test. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I could even point some out for you where I was like, oh, yeah, I rushed through that or that was an assignment that didn't work for me and it still got published. Yeah, I totally listen. I mean, we've all been there. But, you know, so on the one hand, you're not necessarily a bad cook. On the other hand, just because it didn't work for you doesn't mean that the recipe is necessarily bad. <laughs> Like it it could have worked for somebody else. And I don't think that people realize the impact that so many of the details in a recipe can have, especially in accumulation. So, you know, mince, dice, chop all technically mean different things. Right. Right. And you and me write recipes for busy home cooks who aren't necessarily foodies. And like, even we, like, I remember when you were at my house last year, we had a whole conversation about this. Like, what do you define as a chop? And uh, we try to make it simple. So we might just say chop when really a mince would be better in the recipe. And we take some liberties to keep it simple. But, you know, someone who has really great knife skills, who understands the nuances of that might get a slightly different result. You know, ovens vary, how you interpret what high heat versus medium high heat varies. Pan size, like what's large to you versus what's medium to you. that That impacts crowding and how the heat disperses, even the quality of your cookware. Yes. You can get a totally different result. So, you know, one of these things may not make a big difference, but then when they start to accumulate, like you use maybe a slightly too small pan and maybe you didn't chop things exactly the way the recipe developer meant to and your heat was slightly too high, now all of a sudden you're going to get a different result. Yep. For sure. So might be you, might be the recipe, might be your kitchen or your cookware. There's so many factors that go into whether a recipe works or not. Let's talk about, and real quickly, so it's not too boring, about the recipe process 
from a cookbook standpoint? Because that's really like you have written two cookbooks now. When you're approaching a cookbook recipe, what are factors that you're considering in how you write them overall as a collection? So I do think that writing a cookbook for me was very different than publishing online because when I was publishing online, it was much, it's a much quicker process. It has to be. There are many fewer tests of the recipe. So I would say that in general, my cookbook recipes and anybody's cookbook recipes, if they're being honest, unless it's going into publication for a magazine that has like a whole testing process, which that's different. I know Kitchen does, the magazines do. It just really depends. Are more reliable. Yes. But when I'm thinking about cookbooks, I actually have also much more time to develop a recipe. And I try not to look at other sources. And I really think mostly about flavor combinations, like, or like, what have I made in the past that I really loved? And I'll like kind of dig deep, like, oh, I once had a salad, either I made it or maybe at a restaurant that had, you know, pulled chicken and it was Thai flavors, but I don't exactly remember. And I'll just start jotting that down because I'm very invested in trying to make the recipes as much my own as possible. Um, And then there are also classic recipes that you want to do. So in the chicken cookbook, there are a lot of those. And that was a slightly different experience. Like you want to make chicken piccata. And then I, it's the opposite. Then I delve into as many resources as possible. I check as many classic recipes, as many versions that I trust as possible I'll sometimes study kind of the history of the recipe, like how it developed, Is there if there is information on that. And then because of my audience and what I feel most passionately about, then I think, what can I cut down? How can I reduce the chopping? How can I use fewer ingredients and achieve the same flavor? Where can I shortcut the time here? And then I sort of start to approach the recipe from that point of view. It's a lot. It's a lot that goes into a recipe that most people don't see, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then and then cooking it over and over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. And sometimes having other people cook it so that it's fresh eyes on it and Absolutely. ears and nose and all that. So what about you? Because you're now, you do recipe development in a much more fast-paced way for kitchen.com. Yeah. I want to talk about first developing recipes for TV, because that's also a different beast than for cookbooks or online. Yes, totally. Because sometimes people are like, wow, man, this recipe is from this TV show is really fussy. Not, I'm not going to name names here. Um, And part of it is because (laughs) it has to tell a story. Like we can't just make chicken and dumplings straight up, which could be super fast using shortcut things, we really have to like dive into the chicken and then into the broth and then into the different dumplings. And maybe we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the flour. And so it has to tell a story in four acts and be broken up. And so that's why sometimes, depending on the type of TV show that it is or TV appearance it is, sometimes it's just like really complex and unnecessarily so. So I want to give that warning when you're looking for recipes is thinking about the recipe source. Now, Kitchen is a really interesting online um, outlet because unlike a blog uh, or bloggers, 
we are developing original recipes in a big scope. Like sometimes we're doing these, what we call a package of recipes. So like a little series of recipes that are all centered around one ingredient and they're all supposed to be super fast. We call this snapshot cooking actually on kitchen. And those, those have a really quick turnover. Like one person is developing them and they're being tested in our home kitchens, which is great. Like it's not just some test kitchen where someone else does the dishes. So we're really considering like, man, is this fast? Does this take too many dishes? Like, how can I make this even faster or easier? And then they're also tested again when they're photographed in the studio. So the food stylist on site usually gives some feedback like, hey, this didn't work for me. Or, you know, browning this beef took a little bit longer than your notes said it did. And we make adjustments based on that feedback. Yes. And that's the same with cookbook too. Yes. You always get the stylist giving feedback because yeah. they're professional cooks. Um, and then sometimes we're kind of like adapting the recipe based on what the food stylist did on set. Like, oh, maybe I folded the green onions in, but for photo, it looked better to do like the part of the green onions in the casserole and part on top. And so we will amend the recipe before it gets published with those notes. And then we have like these deeper dive how-tos that it's like, you know, how to roast a chicken. And those are tested by the recipe developer and then they're cross-tested by another food editor on our team and also tested on set when they're photographed so they get a three at least three tests to them before they're published so it's kind of a mix like everything is not created in a vacuum things are tested for kitchen online unlike say a standalone blogger like i had a food blog at one point in time shout out stir and scribble and stacy did too at one hungry mama and those you're like testing it and photographing it on the same day and sometimes you just did it once and it worked for you and and you published it and so those are <laughs> that's actually where a lot of my duds live yeah well you know what it was interesting because as One Hungry Mama grew, I definitely would test them more. Not all of them. Yes. But um, ones that I wasn't sure of. Because you do start to get a sense yes. of like, this is the kind of recipe that doesn't need three rounds of tests. Like, right. this is so simple. But this was before food blogs were also like food photography blogs. And it was such a huge business. And I would talk in the post about like the circumstance under which I made it. And like... I would even say like, oh, if I make this again, I'm going to try this and this and this because it really was kind of a diary of what I was cooking at home. Yes. And that sort of changed over time because of the popularity of food online, uh, which is really crazy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys so are I always looking for I recipes. guess I should like have a little caveat that's like, not all food bloggers are just testing their thing once and taking photos. There are a lot of sources like that they're testing recipes and having someone else test it or they're testing it in batches and then having it photographed by someone else. Like I think of what's Gabby cooking. She writes her recipes and then someone else completely outside of her, where she lives even outside of her home takes the photos. So she's getting a, a double and triple test there. Yeah, so I mean, some I think food even blogs Catherine, are reliable. I think even Catherine of Weelicious. Yes. Also has professional photography at this point because the blog has become a business. But both of them have culinary training. Yes. And I do think it, sh it should be pointed out that a lot of food bloggers are home cooks. And they should disclose that in their bios. I feel like that's really important information. And being a trained home cook does not mean you aren't 
amazing at your job are developing recipes because Ruth Reichel is <laughs> home trained, you know, Mark Bittman, some of our best food writers of our time, in my opinion, are home cooks. So, you know, they're also food professionals, but they weren't, they didn't go to culinary school. Yes. So I'm not saying that as a dig. I'm just saying that, that I, I think it's really important to know. Stacy, I don't know about you, but I've been in a major spring cleaning mode, including purging and organizing my closet. I'm putting away winter sweaters and donating things that don't work for me anymore. But I'm so excited to be pulling out some of my favorite items from Quince to put back into rotation. Totally. I love the pieces that I bought from Quince last year, too. And neither of us should really be surprised. We love Quince for their quality. And by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Which means I can actually add some pieces back to my closet after my spring clear out. I love the linen pants and top I got last season so much, but my next purchase is one of Quince's gorgeous 100% washable silk skirts. Oh, that's so pretty. And the best part? All Quince items from silk to 14 karat gold are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. That's why I snagged my favorite oversized cashmere boyfriend cardigan from Quince instead of any other brand. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash D-I-J-F-Y for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for didn't I just feed you, to get free shipping and 365 day returns. This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with ByHeart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is ByHeart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for didn't I just feed you. Additional terms and conditions apply. We know you're seeing all the Mother's Day gift guides everywhere. And while we usually do some Didn't I Just Feed You version, this year we have the one perfect Mother's Day gift that works for everyone, even our last minute shoppers, mylifeinabook.com. Mylifeinabook.com is a unique service that turns the life stories of people you love into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your gift recipient a question via email. These can be pre-written questions that they provide, or you can customize the questions the way that I did for my mom. Your recipient can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. Mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. 
I'm really excited to be creating a book with my own mom this year, and I can't wait to hear some of her childhood memories, what it was really like raising three kids as a single mother, and how she's enjoyed becoming a grandmother, too. And when the book is done, you'll have a beautiful keepsake for her and for you, too. You can even choose to have an audiobook created from the recordings. It's easy to sign up, and the process is automated, so you don't have to worry about missing a week. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code D-I-J-F-Y at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code D-I-J-F-Y for 10% off today. So step one in how to choose a recipe that works for you, consider the source. A hundred percent. Yes. Wait, real quick. Do you have favorite recipe sources? Like what do you do when you, when just for cooking at home, not for recipe development, where do you go look for inspiration or for recipes to guide dinner? I actually don't use blogs very much. Yeah. I get attached to certain food writers. So Melissa Clark is one of my favorites currently. Sometimes I'll go to Food 52, but not for the crowdsourced recipes. They use professional food writers and recipe developers to write some of their columns. Right. Um, the Genius Recipe column, I think, is really good because th- those are professionally professional recipe developers who are then testing again recipes from cookbooks or from chefs or from other professional food writers. Um, I will go to the New York Times, you know, and get from other people besides Melissa Clark, like yeah, Sam Sifton. Yeah, you love Alison Roman, too. I love Alison Roman. I think her style of cooking really speaks to me. And then I'll go to, like, Bon App. Yeah. Um, because I want recipes that have been tested. I want recipes, even when they're simple, that teach me something. And I feel like I get that most when I'm dealing with recipes that were developed by other food professionals. Yes. Um, I feel like a little bit hurt that you didn't say, I also go to the kitchen.com and look at Megan's recipes. <laughs> well, I'm... I'm oh. I'm kidding. I'm so kidding. You know what's really funny? I don't look online for recipes a lot of time. I mean, I like to go to my Instagram save folder when I feel bored with cooking for my family and look for ideas, but I don't necessarily pull recipes yeah, from there. Totally. I've been cooking a lot from magazines and from from cookbooks that I'm checking out from the library recently and which is not always the case but i do feel like you sort of back to your point about how you develop recipes for your cookbooks is like they're they're vetted a little more when you cook from a cookbook it's it's printed you can't like um go into cms behind the scenes and edit the recipe live it better work when you print it i will say just in my defense that your (laughs) instant pot spaghetti and meat sauce has been a regular rotation in my house for like a year, it feels like. I know. We and really, what percentage for the both of us where, where you've been working on a cookbook for the last two years, which we should shout out because it's about to come up for sale in April. Oh, yeah. You guys, it's a chicken cookbook. If you've been listening for a while, you know that already. It's called Winner Winner Chicken Dinner. That is so cute. 50 Stop 50 winning ways to cook it up. Hey, listen, it's America's favorite protein. It really is. I mean, I get it why is. You did like, it. literally, it's like the number one <laughs> you guys search. are buying chicken in like 
thousands of pounds. You like chicken. And I like to think of it as it's not like a classic collection. We took a much more fun approach where it's basically like fun, modern, easy takes on some like chicken classic dishes and others that are just like fun and made up by me, but are still just really easy to get on the table every Monday through Thursday. Or Friday. Friday's a weekday, too, I guess. But they're like (laughs) your go-to recipes for like quick, delicious, very flavorful dinners. And we, you can find it everywhere. I you know can it's find for it pre-sale everywhere. on Amazon already. Yeah. And we'll link pre-sales. to it in the show notes. Pre-sales. Okay. Let's get to the nitty gritty, Stacey. Which is how we pick recipes to feed our family. What we look for in them. And how our listeners can actually find recipes that work for them. I know that you have a strong opinion about this. So I'm just going to say it. Which is not, I'm, I'm not just going to say it. I want to lead into it, which is that you have the strong opinion that uh, what you're looking for in a recipe isn't about flavor. It's about all these other factors that you want to consider when you're meal planning. Yeah. And flavor is obviously a factor. It has to sound appealing, of course, and you want it to turn out good. But I do think that there is this process of, of matching your cooking expectations with your cooking capacity. And I'm not saying skill for a reason, because I have high cooking skill and intelligence, but my cooking capacity on my busiest weeks is much, much lower. Understanding how your week is going to go, you know, whether that's in a formal meal plan or you've just given it some thought really makes a difference in which recipes you choose for that week. I mean, I just don't, I don't see any other way around. I wouldn't know how to think about it otherwise. Do you agree? Yeah, I 100% agree. And in all my writing about meal planning, which is something that I've done for years and years for our family, and even though now it's shifted a little bit more towards meal prep, there is planning involved in it. What I always tell people, like the first step of meal planning is not looking at recipes. The first step of meal planning is looking at your calendar and saying, this is what we have going on this week. We've got Girl Scouts, which means we have to eat dinner at five because we have to be here at six. And I can't start dinner at five and, and, and have it take an hour to cook. I need something really fast. It's then also like, again, even before you're getting to recipes, it's looking at what's in your pantry that you need to use up or in your fridge that you need to use up. There are so many steps before you choose a recipe to like set you up for how you're going to choose recipes, right? Uh, Totally. So, yeah, because if you have a recipe that's totally delicious and takes more time than you have to cook, something's going to go wrong. So that's not the right recipe for you in that moment. And I want to take even very quickly one step back, because this is like assessing your week and the time you have in the moment that you are going shopping for and that you are picking recipes for, whatever time frame. But I also think you need to take a step back and think about your real life cooking style in general. Yes. So you really need to know how you cook Monday through Friday so you know what kind of recipes you're going to choose for yourself Monday through Friday. Like, do you love cooking and you want to take on a project? Great. Then you're going to choose a really different kind of recipe than if you're like, I freaking hate cooking. I'm so tired and burnt out on it. So... Again, it's not that there are recipes are inherently good or bad or even inherently good or bad for you, 
they're good or bad for you in the moment that you are trying to cook them. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. Like just on a really practical note, I think that ingredient lists is the thing that you can look at first to determine if something is going to suit how you like to cook on a weeknight, right? Because if it's calling for 10 ingredients, but you don't have to do any prep to those ingredients, that might be a great recipe for you if you're sort of like middle of the road. Like I like to cook, but I don't have a ton of time to chop and prep stuff. Now, if it has only six ingredients, but you know, five of those ingredients are things that you have to finely dice, finely chop or mince. And that's going to actually realistically take you 30 minutes before you even get to cooking. Then that recipe is not going to work if you need to get to Girl Scouts in 30 minutes. A hundred percent. I mean, gosh, say it again for the people in the back. It is so true. And like, even I made chili recently and I wanted to try a recipe from the New York Times that was good, but it was a little clove heavy, I have to say. But anyway. <laughs> you still have um, the link to it. Anyways. I can't help. Yes, we yes. will. Um, and it's for the slow cookers. So there you go. But I would reduce the cloves. But anyway, that's just me. Huge list of spices. And I was like, oh, it's just spices. It's just quick measuring. And to be honest, when I cook at home, I can measure in my palm. I don't have right. to take out the spoons. Um, unless I'm testing something, of course. But anyway, I was like, that's not a big deal. And actually, I had forgotten that I wanted to put it in the slow cooker in the morning. And my time was crunched. And I was like, this is freaking annoying. Like, I can't believe I have to take out eight spices for my drone, man, measuring. Like, I was annoyed. So that's a perfect example of like, look at the number of ingredients. But even that has to be matched up against what is the moment look like? The moment that you're going to cook this in, what does it look like? How do you feel? How tired are you going to (laughs) be? Yeah. Also, it's good if you know what your just like deal breakers are. Do you, have you ever, like, you've heard this concept before in relationships, right? Like if for me, a deal breaker is someone I was be dating is long hair. I am not a long (laughs) hair person. I'm sorry to say that. It's just not, it's not for me and the person I'm dating. Good thing I'm married to Brian who just has always short hair. Um, Also not into mustaches, and we went through a season of that. But that's another story for another time. Recipe deal breakers are the things that you know you just do not like to do. And why would you ever want to do that to yourself? Like, if you don't like handling raw chicken, like having to finely chop it for some reason on a weeknight, or maybe you just don't like it in general, then, like, don't pick those recipes. Pick a recipe where you're just like using tongs to put the chicken thighs right into the soup instead of some, one that requires you to like handle raw chicken if you don't like it. I think that's a really good point. I'm having trouble thinking of what are recipe deal breakers for me. I think I max out at like four spices on a weeknight. So if it's any more than that, I'm like, nah, not doing it. Unless I can be like, oh, well, I'll just sub for all those spices. I'm just going to sub my homemade taco seasoning instead. Yeah. Then I will do that. Do you have recipe deal breakers? I don't know. It's funny because I think about it differently at this point, which might be sort of an advanced skill for our listeners who are really great experienced home cooks. I will literally go through a recipe step by step and I can guesstimate how much time that step will take. Yeah. If it's like chop one onion, I'm like, that'll take me 30 seconds. It's chop. And I like add it up. And then I usually add buffer for like Oliver being like, ah, can you help me with this on my homework? Or like walking away because the dog needs a bone and is about to eat all the food off my counter. So 
that's kind of how I do it. And I really, for me, I guess the deal breaker is just time. Like my time is so tight that I just need whatever I'm cooking to match my time for that day. So that's why going through the calendar for me and knowing what I'm going to cook on what day is how I have to work. There's just no other choice. I want to get on, I'm going to go on two little small rants. The first one is actually a deal breaker for me is anytime a quick quote unquote quick or weeknight dinner calls for caramelizing onions as like the first step. (laughs) People have written about this. I'm not the first person to have this like thought that Resume writers lie. They're like, oh, until the onions begin to caramelize, eight to 10 minutes. Uh, No. Caramelized onions take a minimum of 20 minutes. I'm not starting any weeknight recipe there. Thank you. Next. Hallelujah. Although if you find yourself in a bind where you have to do that, add sugar, people. Yeah. And call it a day. Call it a day. I agree. And then the other thing I just want to like beg of you as a recipe professional, please just read through the recipe completely like don't do it on tuesday night if you're picking recipes on saturday when you're meal planning please just read through it all the way one time don't rely that you'll like be able to rely on yourself that you'll be able to when you're having to feed the dog and answer spelling questions and cook dinner at the same time that you're going to be able to pay attention to those critical steps because i can't tell you like people have said something didn't work for a recipe didn't work for them or they were frustrated with it and it's because they like skipped a step or they didn't realize half of an ingredient was supposed to go in in step number one and the other half was supposed to go in in step number two and then a recipe didn't work for them. So, And that's such a great point because there are different formats that you as a recipe developer have to use depending on the publication. So noticing, noticing some things like some people, some publications will say, you know, half teaspoon salt comma divided in the ingredients list and others don't. But then in step one, it says, use a quarter teaspoon of salt. You see salt, you like quickly refer back up to the ingredients list and you see half teaspoon and the word divided isn't there to cue you. And you just take half teaspoon and you throw it all the way in. Now your dish is too salty. So, you know, our hands are tied. There is no like universal. This is the way everything is done. Sometimes I wish there was. Oh, um, me too. Because it would take the heat off of us as the recipe developer, you know? <laughs> but yes, you're, I think that's a really great point that you're moving quickly and mistakes happen because it's a little bit like reading the fine print. Yeah. And I like, I'm asking you to do that also from personal experience where I've been like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how to make this chicken soup. And then I get like halfway into the recipe and I'm like, wait, what? I wasn't supposed to put that in there. And now it's like a gloppy mess. Um, So save yourself some sanity and read through the recipes when you're meal planning and not just like while you're trying to cook it. Okay. So, so far we have Like know your schedule and do some form of meal planning that really works for you. Yes. We're talking about reading all the ingredients list and kind of assessing if that works for you and reading through the steps and making sure you understand what you will be called on to do before you're in the heat of the moment. Yes. All right. What else? Very last thing, and you suggested this as a great thing, is look at both the active cooking time and the inactive time right from the jump. Because that will tell you a lot about what's going to happen further down the recipe in that ingredient list and in those steps. Yes. Great one. 
I have two others, one I feel very strongly about. Okay, go for it. I think as you look through the ingredients, just knowing fresh versus pantry is a good, quick, like if that can become automatic for you, because a lot of times fresh ingredients is a signifier that you're going to have to prep or chop. Like even if you don't have to chop, if it's a vegetable, you're going to have to trim it. You're going to have to wash it. Just know that. And that is different than opening a can of beans. Yes. Although beans is not a great <laughs> example because you have to drain and <laughs> rinse, rinse it. But, but anyway, you know, that takes longer than just, they're like, oh, a can of beans. And you're like, oh, but also I have to find the can opener. Did my husband put it totally. back in the drawer that I think it lives in? Where's the strainer? I've got to rinse it. Exactly. But anyway, so I think that's, but here is the big one. This is my big last one. And then you can let us know if you have any others. Please take note of chopping. So we already touched on this, but here's the cold, hard truth, people, that we don't mean to lie, but we cook for a living. And I guarantee that our knife skills are better than yours. (laughs) Okay, Stacey. It's true. That Uh, our knives are sharper. Our knives are sharper because we're obsessive about it. And it's just it's just true. It's going to take you longer. If you're an expert cook, fantastic. You're probably not that far behind us. But we literally do this all day, every day. Right. So when I think that chopping an onion is going to take you two minutes, and I put that in the, the, acti- in the active time, that may not be true for you. A hundred percent, especially. It's also not just skill. Like you said, like it's about knives too. Like if your knives are dull, if I'm working with a dull knife, it takes me longer. Yes. So really look at how much chopping needs to be done and not just the vegetables, but also fresh herbs. Think about the proteins because then you also have to switch cutting boards or do a thorough clean in between. And that takes some organization. How much chopping you have to do really impacts how much time it's going to take you to get through a recipe. And if you're not a happy chopper... You will not be happy if you have to chop carrots and onion and celery and garlic for that chili or stew. Oh my goodness. I want a shirt now that says happy chopper. I am a happy chopper. I am too. You know who else is a happy chopper? Our friend Tracy Benjamin of Shutterbean. We did a whole meal prep episode with her in the our very first season of Didn't I Just Feed You? And she always has these great Instagram stories that are like, I think she calls it chopping therapy. She just zens yes. out on chopping. Yeah. Happy chopper. Yes. I'm a happy chopper. I think I have ten. I I do have tennis elbow. Is what they call it. I forgot the <laughs> real name for it. And the PT I go to is like I know it's. All that chopping. chopping. All that chopping. You have chop elbow. Yes. I do have chop elbow. (laughs) I love it. I love this episode. I hope this is very helpful to beginner cooks and even our pro cooks who are meal planning and meal prepping regularly and sometimes feeling frustrated with a recipe. There's a lot that goes into a recipe and a lot of factors about like why it's written a certain way or why it includes certain ingredients. Um, or why it doesn't include some ingredients. So finding a recipe for that works well for you doesn't mean like doesn't mean that you have to cook things that are popular for everyone else. We totally. all have different tastes. That's it. That's all I got, Stacey. I think everyone should find us as Didn't I Just Feed You on Instagram and Facebook, where they can also join our private listeners group. The answer to the question when you're prompted is whiskey or painkiller, or tell us your favorite 
cocktail because I always need new ideas. Yeah, I like that. I want to hear what you guys like to drink. Most importantly, subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate and review wherever you listen. It makes a really big difference. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jamendo. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Oliver, what is your favorite food in the entire world? Chicken katsu. Yum. My favorite kind of food is probably bacon. 